0: Activism isn't about being loud, it's about making a meaningful change. I'm a catalyst for change. Catalyst for change. I saw what was happening to our planet
1: and the injustice of climate change.
0: I was like, wow, I'm an activist at heart.
1: Combining art and activism to inspire change.
0: I had to find my place in activism as a young black woman. I realized you're never too small to take action. Youth have ideas for what a climate resilient future looks like. Protecting the environment isn't a white people's thing. It's something for everyone.
1: I wanted to learn about how inequality, poverty and gender intersect.
0: Intersection. Feminism is important to discuss. Now people are joining me and we're making change.
1: I had to learn to trust my abilities and understand that my voice mattered. I've proved to myself what I could do.
0: Change needs to start with you and me. Youth, Youth are leading. Sanbanani Dumelang Absheni and welcome to Youth Tal Or.
1: The homegrown South African podcast, sharing stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive and equitable future for all.
0: We're your hosts, Bunolo Mwikangani. And I'm joined with my co-host, with the most,
1: Zaheer Suleiman.
0: So Zaheer, today Mm -hmm. I'm extremely excited. Why is that? Because unlike the other episodes that we've had Mm -hmm. throughout the season, Mm -hmm. today we have an incredibly younger guest. So all the other guests have been in university, maybe starting out in their careers. But today we have a guest who's still
1: in high school that's like a child we're babysitting this episode no but i'm so excited <laughs> i'm so excited to be welcoming Utsile inkari meng a high school student that is 18 years old and is making waves in the environmental space just at grade 11. welcome
2: hi sure. how are you? hello everybody <laughs> um wow babysitting like the shots are already fired before we've even begun oh you can
1: imagine Oh, this wow. is going to be a fun one.
0: <laughs> now, Utzile, I believe you have a story today to share with us, right? Wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. I'm, you know, I hate to interrupt you, but, but we got to do this. Okay,
0: we okay, do this. okay.
1: Utzile, I have a very important question for you. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're not too young for this because I think you're going to offend a lot of people. <laughs> Which chipmunk would you be from Elvin and the Chipmunks?
2: Oh, wow. Would it, be, would it be bad if I said I'm Alvin? <laughs> no. I mean... That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, I, you... mean, I, could, I could be Theodore, but... Yeah. No, tell, tell us why you're I Alvin. P- I prefer Alvin. What well, makes you Alvin? Like many mm-hmm. people that would identify as Alvin, I mm-hmm. am the troublemaker. Ooh. Okay. So I am, okay. I am the one okay. that the teacher would literally walk into the class, and when there's chaos, they don't even bother looking around. They just look straight at you, and they're like... <laughs> Listen. that thing and the eyes that are now like closed narrowly that say you are dying and today the, and
1: they just stand there in silence and yeah. they wait for you mm. they wait for you you're
0: <laughs> no listen listen I want to jump straight into it tell us about this incredible story about how you're getting young people and high school students particularly involved in the environmental movement
2: mm. yeah so I think it's important that we start in September of 2019 because this is where it all began so mm-hmm. September of 2019 I was a grade learner and I was excited to be attending my first ever Model UN, which was hosted by Saya at the time. Sure. Really, what I wanted to do was just learn about the United Nations and the mm. workings of mm. the institution. And, you know, pretend to be a diplomat. Like, when you're in good <laughs> you show up, you're wearing a blazer for the first time and a tie, and you're like, yeah, I can do this. I can act like mm-hmm. a grown-up. Mm-hmm. But the conference didn't quite go the way I anticipated. Mm. So I was Malawi, but I went into that conference expecting to, like, mimic Devi from Never Have A Ever and start a nuclear <laughs> war, just straight in, create chaos and then leave. But before the conference even began, uh, Professor Colleen Vogel from WITZ mm-hmm. explained to us the climate crisis, what it was, how it impacted us here in South Africa and really went into detail like explaining what this means for our future. So once I was exposed to the climate crisis for the first time, Mm. believe it or not. I mean, you'd expect by grade eight, you'd have some foundational understanding about Mm. what climate change was. It really changed everything I anticipated Mm. about the conference, everything I wanted to do. And it began to sort of change the trajectory of where I would direct the majority of my time going forward. Mm. So I found this experience to be really somewhat devastating because like you're finding out for the first time that everything you've anticipated for your future has been flipped on its head because when you find out that food security, global stability as it presently stands could be put at threat because of the climate crisis because many things are exacerbated by the climate crisis mm. and the instability that that creates, creates for a world which is just going to be devastating and our generation is going to feel the worst of it regardless of the fact that the older generation is the one that is responsible for it and they're going to be all long gone and dead by the time we feel the worst of it but the whole idea that the world was our oyster was my Mm -hmm. oyster that entire narrative just completely changed from that moment and i began to sort of ask myself what can be done Mm. because uh to give you an insight about the type of person i am i am someone if you bring me a problem Yeah, I'll listen to you complain about the problem, but you better have a solution (laughs) with you because I'll help you work out the solution if you don't have one. And so immediately after, man, I got home, pulled out my laptop, got a notepad out and was like, all right, climate change. What is this thing? How do we fix it? And Mm. who do we hold responsible? Because someone has to be held responsible for this mess. And from there, I, it, it would be fair to say, I got immediately overwhelmed, like realizing the magnitude, well, the, the magnitude to which the climate crisis exists mm. right now and realizing the stakes and how much time we actually have been told we have to stop this crisis. It's, it's, it's like you're one child in high school. What, what, what do yeah. you think you're doing? Mm. What do you think you can do that's going to change all of this? Sure. But nevertheless, I decided that I'll start somewhere. Mm. So when Saya put out the petition for their uh, youth policy committee on climate change, the mm-hmm, working group mm-hmm. on climate, I signed up immediately. So um, hear you were there. I remember you were there. You're like the only guy apart from me wearing school uniform, but he had like a lot more badges on and don't, scrolls and stuff. Don't, don't hype me like, up, this
1: is your episode. It, it, was, it was crazy. But thank you.
2: But uh, essentially what we did there um, was that we try to find ways of one, not just talking about the policies that currently exist mm. around climate, but also like finding out how we as youth can engage in the policy making space. Sure. So that looks like ways around analyzing, commenting on, and even creating policies ourselves mm. that yeah. we see would help address the climate crisis and engaging government officials about what can be mm. done because ultimately the state is probably the strongest actor to take action on climate because they have that like cross-cutting support. But... Apart from that, I also joined Extinction Rebellion in South Africa. Yo, guys. <laughs> uh, anyone that's joined Extinction Rebellion knows that we call it XR. And XR essentially is a decentralized movement of individual climate activists, environmentalists and other stakeholders that believe we need to declare a climate emergency, engage people on creating a People's Assembly. People's Assembly is essentially like taking the control of the climate crisis mm-hmm. into the people's hands and enforcing the necessary change and also uh, seeking to achieve all of this by means of a non-violent, disruptive protest actions and, disobe- and civil disobedience. Wow. These are basically the things that Extinction Rebellion does. Mm-hmm. But the people that are in Extinction Rebellion are... They're the type of people that like make you realize, wow, I thought I was an activist. <laughs> um, I say this because I've come to see this part of like my climate journey as I, I, I dubbed it the title, My Baptism by Fire because sure. Extinction Rebellion is where you get there and you find people that have been in the climate space for decades, like the OGs of the mm. climate space, the people that were there in the, like before climate change was even a thing, <laughs> back, back when it was still like the stuff that like the tree-egging hippies used to do, you know, the Greenpeace 80s, the way the world used yes. to perceive environmentalism back then. Those were the people that I met there. And so essentially they would come and give me a very extensive climate education, not just about climate change, but that was where I was first like, introduced to the concept of intersectionality sure. that mm. you know so the climate crisis is not something that exists in isolation mm. that it is impacted by and also impacts other issues that affect us socially economically politically and so it was from extinction rebellion that i started to have to you know come to grips with what climate change was what it means and how really finding a solution to this crisis is is it, it's not an easy job it, needless to say, if it was an easy job, we would have had something a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. And so it was just really, it was really fascinating to be surrounded by such remarkable people. But as a creative learner in these spaces, like... In the youth policy committee, I was one of a few because like Mm. the majority of them were mainly older youth. So like Mm -hmm. university students, some even out in the job market. But in Extinction Rebellion, I often was the only young person in those spaces. And so people would look to me for the youth of, well, the the voice of the youth in Mm -hmm. those instances and I'd find myself struggling to sort of find something to say because I I was feeling like I was an imposter in these spaces because I'm occupying these spaces with some of these remarkable and brilliant people, but I didn't have the necessary experience Mm. that they did. I I didn't bring a lot to the table. At least I felt I didn't bring a lot to the table. And so it, it, it really became very hard as I continued in Extinction Rebellion to sort of carve out a space for myself. And I realized that this was attributed a lot to the fact that I felt like I was a a small minority in that space I was I really represented my my demographic of young people and I didn't know enough so I was really doing any justice to us in these spaces and it it became very tough to participate
1: i can imagine
2: yeah and so you know by 2020 i was completely overwhelmed and i started to feel like i needed a break from climate activism and the climate space in general sure and so you know, I decided I was going to take a break. Mm-hmm. But then in March, y'all, the craziest thing happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, we went straight into a COVID lockdown, which was a half blessing, but also a half curse at the same mm-hmm. time. Like being stuck in the house with, oh, with my family. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was, it was, it was an interesting experience, but, um, also the time to sit and reflect for about two months, because school closed for about two, 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 three months during mm-hmm. lockdown. And so I had a lot of that free time to sort of think and reflect and try and find a way to come back to the climate space and find a way to contribute valuably. Uh, I, I needed that time to sort of discover if I am to occupy these spaces, what would I bring? Like, do mm, would I, would sure. I want to, would I want to be seen as the only youth in these spaces, or is the problem that there's not enough youth in these spaces, and therefore I'm feeling overwhelmed and overburdened because I'm supposed to be carrying a generation in these spaces, which is wild. Because the climate space is supposed to be inclusive; it's supposed to encompass everybody. If mm. we're going to find a solution to the climate crisis, we need to make sure that everyone's at the table and everyone's voice is heard. That's that's the way I started to think about it. And so by mid 2021, I can't pinpoint when specifically I felt that I could get back mm-hmm. into the climate space. I often attribute it to a quote that's been like my WhatsApp profile photo for two years. Yes, I'm that <laughs> per- I know I was expecting. I am that person who has a cheesy quote as their WhatsApp profile. I don't remember exactly where I found it, but the mm-hmm. quote goes to anyone who has ever wondered what you would have done in those defining moments that we read about in history books. The answer is what you are doing now. Wow. Sure. It, it was really deep, I know. That's profound. And I would s- think
1: you're a 30-year-old with that kind of picture, but no, sure. wow, that's that's great.
2: <laughs> and so, yeah, And it, it was just reading that and coming to understand that before we can even start to discuss what to do in these spaces, we need to make sure that these spaces are already in the position where these discussions are valuable. And this is a historic moment Mm -hmm. for not just our generation, but for humanity, because these are the defining moments in which we will save ourselves. And so to kickstart my action back into the climate space, 2021, I decided to be part of the South African Youth Climate Action Plan Mm -hmm. drafting group. I was lucky. One <laughs> of our, the leader for my group, in fact, was Irfan Mankeria, who's the youth programs director at the Ahmed Katrada Foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Irfan mm-hmm. is who I call a activist. Yo, guys, Great guy. uh, my mentor there. And so a uh, part of that was engaging with a lot of remarkable young people. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I, I sort of got back into that space and it was so easy to transition into that space because there were people my age, the people the same, yeah. in, 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 like facing the same thing as me. Like we were talking about mm-hmm uh there were discussions about like wh- what should we as our group put forward like what policies should we look at mm-hmm. to say if we're going to have a south african new climate action plan what what elements would we want to get in there mm-hmm. and then there were people who like me who would say like yeah, guys, I don't even know where to start looking. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just hearing that from someone your age, someone like you that Mm -hmm. makes you feel, okay, I am amongst my people so we can start to find a solution together. And so uh, working in that committee, working through that, just helped me realize that the solution was to bring more people my Mm -hmm. age into the space. And so by early 2022, when Youth It launched the, Young Leaders Conference. Mm-hmm. I went into that conference looking for mm-hmm. One, because I'd already been part of Fridays for Future South Africa at that point. So I had a little bit of experience in organizing young people my age into the climate space. But secondly, because I knew there were going to be a lot of activists, climate activists that I follow on Instagram but never knew in person, <laughs> they were going to be there and we'd be able yeah. to have meaningful conversations. And that's
1: where we first met.
2: <laughs> yeah, And so um this is where I introduced my partner in crime in this whole scheme, mm-hmm. Petra De Beer. Uh, Petra, I started following Petra for a while on Instagram. She is, she is remarkable people. Like, let me just say, Petra is remarkable. She founded, uh, Climate Justice Stellenbosch, and that's mm. how I got to know her but whilst we were there at the young leaders conference mm-hmm. she and i immediately hit it off cuz i knew her on instagram she sort of <laughs> knew me on instagram so we were sort of like hey we climate kids were more or less friendly hi me i'm otsile you're petra
1: <laughs> let's
2: let's have a chat and uh, we hit it off because we started trading experiences about being in the climate space and being like the only high schooler in these spaces and how intimidating that was and how it really sure. like s- impeded our growth hmm. in the space yeah. and how, you know, we sort of look back and we're like, I could have done so much more if I just backed myself a little bit in those times and in sure. those spaces. And it was having these conversations that she and I immediately became best friends. But after a month or two, the conference was over and I was making the long hike. I was back at school, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was making the long hike from my history class, which is like, on the bottom edge of the school <laughs> to, the, my, to my English class, which is like on the other side oh, of the school. Oh, you're like
1: the older generation, walking from mountain to mountain.
2: Oh, <laughs> guys. Like, you have five minutes to get to the next class and that's including when the bell rings to pack your books and put in I know, bag. five
1: minutes to... is lenient. I had three minutes. And so but... we have
2: to move. And as I'm walking, Petra sends me a message and it's like, so remember that chat we had at the YLC? So let's do something about that. Mm-hmm. So I recommended doing school strikes because I'm like, like... Come on, we need, we need something that's heavy. We need something that will make them, that'll like send a strong message immediately, mm-hmm. like sure. off the bat. But then Petra sort of reminded me that if we're going to do this, we need to do this in a way that allows people like us, other young people, our age to sort of get into the space, but not feel immediately overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And it has to be in an environment that they feel safe and comfortable sure. in and that, you know, they're familiar with. Yeah. And so I said, what about walkouts then? Mm-hmm. What about school walkouts? And from that moment, the Sundial Movement was born. Now, the Sundial Movement is essentially a network that exists to connect high schools in the Western Cape and Gauteng so far, but we're looking at expanding. This network essentially serves the purpose of connecting us to not just have discussions about climate, but to help take actions to force stakeholders, Mm. the government, private sector to take action around climate by Mm. either doing school walkouts, which was our first action on September 21st. Or by, you know, more or less helping young people to find the network, well, to find the spaces where they can engage, whether it being policy, whether it being grassroots activism, organizing, mobilizing community projects. Like that is what the Sandal movement Mm -hmm. was birthed to do. But the walkout was going to be our first pilot project to sort of see where the Sandal movement can get with this and whether we could actually create this network where more high schoolers can come in. And so, yeah, two high school students decided that we were going to do this. Uh, no pressure uh, yeah no No pressure pressure. no pressure it's not like uh, we're fighting this idea that people our age aren't ready to do this like I think any young person Mm. in the climate not just in the climate space any young person that occupies any space anywhere where there's a table and decisions are being taken you'll often find that like the older people look at you and they're like are are you ready though? are you competent though? and so like she and I doing this, we sort of had to start fighting that idea that were we competent enough? Were we ready enough? Like, who were we? Who was Petro Dubier? Who was Zutzilankariemeng to come up and say, no, we're going to start organizing Mm. high schoolers. We're going to start making sure that we all sit at the table, that younger youth is represented more. Like, who are you and what gives you the right to do that? Mm. It's a little bit crazy to sort of say that out loud now, but understanding that you're trying to earn legitimacy in this space, and doing this could threaten the legitimacy of you being there. Sure. That, that pressure on Petra and I, we, we felt it every day with mm-hmm. every step we took. But we decided from the first step that we're going to take that, you know, damn the consequences. <laughs> we're just going to look. You know, when you're walking the school hall and you see your crush and you admitted that you like them, but they just blue ticked you. So you just look at your feet. Can relate. Yeah. Can yeah. relate. <laughs> So you just look at your exposing myself. So you just look at your feet whilst you walk past them and you're like, No, I I know you're there, but I'm not Uh. gonna look at you. (laughs) That's essentially how we approached every step we took in Mm. planning the walkouts. So we said we're gonna take it one step at a time and we're not gonna look at the dangers that are coming towards us or the challenges. When they come to us, we're gonna deal with them and Mm -hmm. we're not gonna be stopped. And so putting together the schools, like the first problem we encountered was getting the focal points in the schools to actually buy into doing Mm -hmm. this. So the focal points were essentially like the people that we tasked with. You're at uh, Rodin, I'm at Jeppy, she's at um, National School of Arts. How are we going to, one, get a student body that's never engaged on climate change to buy into doing school walkouts, the first thing. Sure. How are we going to get the school's management to actually agree? Because, guys, I go to JP, we're like 130-something years old now. The, the management of the school is very careful about where what we do and how we spend our time. And so getting the focal points to engage and buy into this and get that student support was the first challenge that we encountered. Mm-hmm. But... And there's one thing I'm forgetting there. I forgot to mention this one part, and it's really important. Guys, they were writing exams. In the middle of all of this, we're writing exams. So yo. doing workouts whilst we are writing exams.
1: Yo. <laughs> yo. I love how you casually forget like, to mention that. Like, oh.
2: In case I didn't mention, we're yeah. writing exams. We're writing exams. Yeah, I, I think it's because I, I didn't even dare looking at my term three report. <laughs> I know I did well, but... Yo. I know a few subjects where my teachers were less than pleased about organizing this, but we managed to get them on board by explaining what was at stake. So, mm-hmm. so you had to give people a crash course mm-hmm. in the climate crisis and you had to do this in like a matter of a week because, yeah, they have one week to bind to this and then they have another week to get their school to bind to this. And then we have another week to strategize on how we're going to do this. So, mm-hmm. three weeks. If you fail at one step, Yes, September 21st is not happening you're going to have to push back the date and we were determined to do September 21st because we'd already released the date we'd spoken to African Climate Alliance I'd already spoken to Fridays for Future I'd spoken to all the climate groups I couldn't tell them what doing this thing and so, like th- that first challenge really set the tone for everything else. Because once we got the schools to buy on board, uh, to buy into getting this done, mm-hmm. uh, then we encountered the other challenges. So, like, okay, we're doing the walkouts, but what are these walkouts representing? Like, what do they sure, stand for? When, sure. when they ask, what is the Sandal movement? Mm-hmm. What do you stand for? Are you just a bunch of kids that want to skip class? Sure. Because I can see a Maluma just sitting there looking at his...
0: 100%. uh,
2: Saying to his child, like, what are you doing? You're skipping class. I'm paying this much for you to go to school and you're skipping class with no purpose. And so we said, no, there must be intention behind what we're doing. And so then the process began in the midst of these three weeks. We decided, okay, we're just going to throw in putting together a declaration, Mm -hmm. putting together a list of what we actually stand for that we can point to and say, this is what the Sandal Movement stands for. This was not easy because by this point, we had about like seven schools between Gauteng and the Western Cape, each school's management wanted to like make sure that they're not going to do anything that brings the school's reputation into disrepute. So whilst we're Mm -hmm. writing this, well, we have to like think about it. Are we going to compromise what our generation wants to just make sure that a headmistress or headmaster somewhere is happy, that is happy with what's on paper there? Or are we going to genuinely reflect what our generation wants in this uh, memorandum document, in this declaration document? It's like this balancing act, because you you understand that if you compromise one, it could compromise the whole thing
0: sure.
2: and compromise the integrity mm. of the Sandal movement. And so we had to find that balance. But eventually, when the declaration came together, it you know, we're very proud of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I hope I'm going to give you the link to link <laughs> it with this podcast episode so people can read it. Check it out. If you're listening to this and you're in high school, you better contact me about this. You'll put my Instagram there too as well. (laughs) And so by the day, September 21st, Petra and I um were terrified to say the least because we're like, we think we've done everything. Mm. But we all know in every like... Protagonist story ever. There's like a challenge that comes out of nowhere at the last moment. Yep. Yep. And like she and I are exhausted. I'm writing physics the next day. She's 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 just she's just tired because she's doing prelims and it's like, all right, all right, universe, bring it on. We have nothing more to lose. Uh like it's not like our future's at stake. And so I decided to strike on that day because my school said. We're not going to let you do this. Mm -hmm. And I just was determined to represent the values of the Sundial movement and what our generation stood for and Mm -hmm. making sure that this was a success. And so it was a mix of striking, but also being there to damage control the situation. And so to my surprise, the day went off without a hitch. So the schools that had signed on to be on board, Mm -hmm. the majority of them, the ones that didn't do walkouts decided to dedicate an entire day to talking about climate change. So they were educating their peers about the climate crisis and also they were using this as an opportunity to help get as many of their teachers, as many of their parents, as many of their peers' mm. friends who aren't in the schools on board. So. um this was like assemblies. These were like climate talks. These were like creating inform, like informative brochures that people could take home and have these discussions, having art, entire art displays dedicated to, uh, basically representing the climate crisis and mm. what it means for us. And then there were schools like Parktown Girls, uh, where Sarah, Fai- uh, Sarah Farista, an amazing, climate activist by the way she organized uh not just the walkouts but an entire protest where they left the school grounds and took to the streets of parkhurst oh, wow. sure. and started you know chanting what do we want climate mm-hmm. justice what does this mean having these discussions these valuable discussions and so that's how september 21st turned out and looking back on it it's sort of like It's encapsulated in a quote I once read at a climate protest. But the poster read, the oceans are rising, but the youth are rising faster. feel wow. Yeah, and I feel like this represents where the Sundial Movement will go from here and where the climate space will lead to. Wow. And that's my story.
0: <laughs> sure. Incredible. Incredible. I think your, your story has so many layers to it, right? But I think starting at the very beginning, you mentioned something that really struck a chord with me. And it was the importance of activists stepping back and refreshing or filling their own cups mm. within the activism space because it can get so overwhelming, right? Not even overwhelming, I think depleting. Right? And it's so important mm. to just go back, retreat from the space, and get into a place where we're refilling our cups, refilling our passion, really strategizing around what does this mean for us, right? And as yeah. we can see, I think that's where the, the birth of the Sundown movement for you essentially began, right? From this retreat and this coming back into the space with fresh perspective, which is absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, no, I think I would... I only have the same sentiments to sure. add. The fact that you, you were in the space. And yes, COVID was a curse, but it came as a blessing for you to be yeah. able to, to go back and think. And, and you mentioned it especially. What, what do I want to be in the space? Sure. How do I want to proceed in the space? So you really were able to reflect. And I mean, what you were grade nine. So you were reflecting at that sure. moment, like, wow.
0: So, Tili, we just, at this point, honestly, we just have a couple of questions to mm-hmm. ask you. Um, incredible story. But I think the first one that I have for you is, you've been saying Sundial Movement, Sundial Movement. Where does this name come from? Because I think a lot of things, the name carries so much value in what we're doing, right? Where does the name come from?
2: So, the name Sundial was actually Petra's idea. Um, Sundial to represent the idea and the fact that we're running out of time. To stop the climate crisis. And so, and so we wanted a name that embodied Mm. the fact that we are running out of time, but also spoke to how natural and organic we want this to be. And so we said, let's, let's give, let's find something that's natural and let's use that to represent what the -hmm. Sandal movement and what climate, the climate crisis is all about. And that is a race against time to save humanity. And I think I would ask you, being such a young person and making incredible
1: waves in the space. Sure. We often find as young people, it can be difficult to get into these spaces, to join such movements. And you even said it yourself. There's often times where we have to prove ourselves within the space. How do you think we can overcome this? And how do you think we can get young people involved into the space? And so to el- uh, eliminate that mindset, you know, to say that you, you belong in the space, you can do this.
2: So the first thing we need to do Mm -hmm. is that these spaces need to be opened up more. Because when you see someone that is like you or someone that is from a similar space as Mm -hmm. you, it becomes easier for you to engage in that space. Your, Your alarms and your walls and your barriers sort of come down a little bit. So I feel that these spaces need to be, if not opened up more, we need to find ways to bring in more younger youth, more youth that sort of isn't already represented in those spaces. So I feel like that's the first thing we need to do. Mm. And then the second thing we need to do is that we, I feel like there needs to be like phases in which people come and contribute into the climate space because like I said, baptism by fire, I was thrown into like the pit of, well, not really the pit, but the center of so much brilliance. Mm -hmm. And there's like a term I heard where it's like, you're like a little cup Trying to get like a little bit of water from an open fire hose that is just like blaring out water. There's no way you're going to get a sip of water from that. Mm. And so we need to, we need to try and help find ways in which when we're bringing younger youth into these spaces, Mm -hmm. we need to like help, if not ease their entry in, we need to help like, and I'm probably like, cause I hate how this sounds, but it's very effective. Hold their hands (laughs) going in it. Cause like, the expression of hold their hands sort of makes it like, oh, you're a little baby. But like the fact that they're mm-hmm. taking that step, it's not like you're holding mm-hmm. their hand, like we're teaching you to walk. You're holding their hand to help them like jump from wherever they are and land into mm. this craziness that we find ourselves in.
0: Sure, sure. Incredible. I think somebody would listen to the whole the how the sundial movement started, right? So with the with the with the school workouts and the strikes and think to themselves, Strikes. Why strikes? Why particularly use the mode of strikes? Because one, it's hectically courageous. And as you've already mentioned, it's not conventional. You know, like your parents do not send you to school to go and strike. Right. But I think more than that, I really want to ask, where to from here? What like what does the Sundown movement from here see and envision for itself? What, it, what does it entail to do after the strike? Yes, we have striked. We have a great declaration. But what does the g- declaration mean? And how, from the strikes, what are we essentially aiming to achieve?
2: So essentially with the walkouts, um, what we're aiming to achieve is, it, it's broken down into uh, three mantras. And mm-hmm. these are like my personal mantras. Mm-hmm. Conscientize, organize, and mobilize. Sure. So the walkouts serve the purpose of conscientizing people about climate change. So when people see, like at Park Tonkles, like the girls taking to the streets of Parkhurst and yelling, what do we want? Climate change, or the climate, not climate change, climate justice. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Please, we do banks. not want climate change. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it now? Uh-huh. That sort of sparks something in the parents, in the adults, in the stakeholders, parts of civil society that see them doing that, they say, okay, why are these kids sacrificing their school time? What is the climate crisis about? Because knowledge about climate change in this country is Mm. not where it needs to be. Mm. And so therefore, we as the youth, as the ones who have the most to lose, but also the ones who tend to understand it a little bit better we therefore have to like sort of assume this role this responsibility of conscientizing of awakening and yeah. the country to what climate change is and why we should really be taking this mm-hmm. as an important uh, thing so that's the conscientize uh, point the organizing no movement exists without a strong organization and for an organization to exist the organizing that happens on the ground needs to happen from the people that are committed to the cause. And so what that means, that's to say that we have people in about seven schools now that have contributed to the walkouts. Mm -hmm. What they're going to do is organize eco clubs in their schools. If they didn't have eco clubs, they're going to start taking control of their school's eco clubs and take a more radical, you know, the word radical sounds like a weird contention, but a more sure. radical yeah. approach to addressing climate change. So that mm-hmm. looks like taking on the school's administration to say that the climate, like discussions around climate change in the school, not just on the curriculum, but just discussions we can have at assembly. We're mm-hmm. not having enough of them. Let's try have more of these discussions. Let's try reduce our school's own carbon footprint let's try teach people yeah. what the concept of a carbon footprint is let's yeah. try teach people all of these things so it's, it ties into the conscientizing as well because you're organizing to help take action and then the mobilization well that just comes in with all the other movements because we want to get to a point where the sundown movement can say to african climate alliance to extinction rebellion to Fridays for future we can look to them and say, in September when we have our massive actions in Cape Town and mm-hmm. Gaudeng, we can bring the numbers. Like imagine if we could have over 100,000 school students going to the union buildings, mm-hmm. going to parliament and calling for stronger action. The incentive for the state to not take action on climate mm. is significantly reduced. But the incentive to take action Become stronger because when sure. you bring, what like, I don't know any parent that's gonna let their child go to a protest without them being there. So the parents also get to learn. Mm-hmm. The parents also get to use their civic power as voters to sort of change the way mm. uh, our political system is shaped. And so it, wow. it it takes up multiple forms. Just as a closing question, I think
1: we're both dying to know, but everybody would be dying to know. I'm not gonna ask. What you what you plan to study? What do you plan to do with your future? But if you have that answer, you can give it. But I think I would just want to phrase it in a way that what are your aspirations? Where do you see yourself Mm -hmm. personally going forward in the space, outside of the space? What do you see yourself doing?
2: I'm at a point where I only look at my future as something that has to give back. Because once you engage in the climate space, once Mm -hmm. you engage in any form of activism, it becomes impossible to say, okay, once we stop climate change, that's where I'm going to stop. We've identified that our world is in a position of so much danger where we're always teetering on the brink of devastation. Mm -hmm. And it is at this moment that we need everyone who's capable, everyone that is willing to do something to get involved in so specifically i don 't know what i 'm going to do <laughs> i think I think that's a sentiment a lot of people yeah. can 100%. resonate with, but one thing I know for sure is that it is going to be something that helps people because if it 's not then mm. i don't know wow. I, I i don't know
0: hundred percent hundred percent
1: wow then that, no that's great. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. We would love to go into more detail, but the babysitting session is over. We'll just send you an invoice.
2: I'm still taking that <laughs> personally.
1: <laughs> Thank you for being here, Utsile. Uh, it was really great having you. Thank sure. you for sharing your story and inspiring so many mm. other young people. It has been great just to listen to everything that you've been doing. We're your hosts. I'm Zahir Suleiman, and I'm joined with my co-host, what the most? Bonolo Mui And join us next time to hear more stories of young people taking action to create a more sustainable, inclusive, and equitable future for all.
0: Hard to believe, but that brings us to the end of another riveting season of the Youth Tell All podcast.
1: Aww, that makes me so sad. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for joining us in listening to these storytellers share their inspiring and exciting stories. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. But more importantly, we hope you feel encouraged and inspired to share your stories. So get in contact. We want to hear it. And for the last time this season, we're your hosts. I'm Zahir Suleiman, and I'm with my co-host with the most.
0: Benolo Mui we yani.
1: We've been... Ravioli and Linguini, we've been zero and one. We've been everything. But until next time, thank you.
0: But before we cut it here, mm-hmm. on a more personal note, so here it's been absolutely incredible working beside you. All the quirky jokes, all the moments <laughs> you've made me giggle in between, like every single aspect of it has been incredible. I've no thoroughly enjoyed working with you. I hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast as well.
1: You have given me an energy every day. It was an absolute pleasure working with you, Boralong. We have our own show. We really, we really took being enemies in grade nine to being best friends now. Look at that.
0: I mean, period, bestie. The Youth Tell All podcast is a production from Youth at SIA. The youth programs at the South African Institute for International Affairs. Youth at Sia is focused on giving a voice to young Africans to tackle the major issues that confront them, while building capacity to engage with policymakers at national, regional and international levels. Youth at Zaya empowers youth with the skills to become continental leaders with a commitment to co-creation, collaboration, inclusivity, decolonization, social justice and intersectionality. Our broader thematic areas cover climate change, gender, education, employment, and sustainable and regenerative
1: futures. This series has been made possible with the financial support of the Embassy of Finland in Pretoria. This episode was produced by Kiara Worth and Desiree Kashulik in collaboration with Solid Gold Podcast Studios. The Youth at Saya leadership team includes Desiree Kashulik, Titeboho Lebia, Lucille Naidu, and Itumeleng Impure. Story development has been done by Kiara Worth.
0: If you have a story to share or want to learn more about our podcast, our programs, or how to get involved in youth activism, head to our website at sire.org.za slash youth. That's S-A-I-I-A dot dot forward slash youth. Youth at SIA is across social media sites too. So find us wherever
1: you are. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, youth, youth are, are leading. leading.